Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, please. Joshua chapter 1. It's always awkward when I, bring, when I begin a new series because I feel like I need to give you some background information to lead you into the book. I'm going to start a series here on the victorious Christian living from the book of Joshua. I would certainly encourage you to familiarize yourself with the book, reading a chapter at a time or taking a week to read through the book itself to get a broad picture of it. But as we come to the book of Joshua, we've just ended 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses has died, and God is setting Joshua aside to take over the reins or take over the leadership of the children of Israel. I'm going to read the first four verses there in Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I, have, I am giving to them, to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, and the river Euphrates, all the land, the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Joshua is, in, in one hand, it's a book of transitions. They're going from this wandering, actually, into finally the promised land. Uh, it's a book of battles. There's Jericho and Ai, of course, stand out right away as they happen at the first of the book itself. There's several campaigns against different city-states. There's the harsh reality of sin and God's judgment for it. There's judgment of God upon the peoples of Canaan for their idolatry and for their opposition to God and to God's people. And there's also fulfilled promises. These are the kind of things that we're going to see intertwined uh, into the book itself. When the children of Israel left Egypt, there's two great events in Scripture. The main great event of the Old Testament is Israel's redemption from Egypt. Or the death angel passes over the the last plague so that they would be sent out so they could flee from Egypt. That's the Old Testament. That's a great event in the Old Testament. Of course, the great event in the New Testament, some would say the birth of Christ, some would say the death of Christ. I would put those together, the birth and the death of Christ, because that's the salvation of man from sin. They are those two great events. So this great event, Israel is leaves Egypt, and to go from Egypt to God's promised land, or, or to Canaan, is about an 11-day trip. It takes them two years. In other words, they, in those two years, they stop at Sinai, There's, and the, again, during those two years, two great events happen during those two years. They receive the law, and they receive instructions how to build the, build the tabernacle, and there was dwelt, God's dwelling place, uh, which later, of course, becomes the temple. In those two years, from traveling to Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, which was the entrance or jumping off point to go into Canaan, they got the tabernacle and the uh, law. All right, so those two years pass. They get to Kadesh Barnea. They get to Kadesh Barnea, call this the decision point. Moses calls, sets aside 12 men, one from each tribe. And uh, actually, the people were reluctant to go in without seeing what they're getting into. So they sent these 12 spies into the land, and uh, they spy out the land. In other words, what, what is our, who are we up against, uh, what is it we have looked forward to, what do we, how do we need to prepare, etc. And when they came back, of course, 
Ten were good, or ten were bad, and two were good. Ten spies gave a bad report, a negative report. We are grasshoppers. We are facing giants. There's no way that we can go in this land. And they said, let's appoint another leader and go back to Egypt. Uh, Now, it's, it's hard sometimes for us to comprehend that, thinking, well, we would never do that. But don't we? Don't we do that? Oh, it's too hard, God. I think I'll just slide back into my way of life. Oh, it's just too hard, God. I think I'll go back into the world or go back into Egypt. It's just too hard. So they wanted to appoint a new leader, and they wanted to slide back into Egypt. But two spies stood up and said, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't walk away from God's promises. Those two spies were Caleb and Joshua. Now, uh, Caleb and Joshua were, were, were both born in Egypt, and they had experienced Egypt. They knew what they were talking about. They experienced those two years, and they came back and gave a good report. No, listen, we need to go in, and we need to take the land. Well, that led, that's why Katie Sparnia is called the decision point. We, we, we may have many Katie Sparnias in our lifetime. A decision point. Trust God or trust the flesh. Go forward or go backward. So Katie Sparnia is that decision point. Therefore, God said, I'm not going to take you in. Instead, you're going to have to wander around in the wilderness. Well, you take the two years that it took him to get there, and 38 more years that they wandered in the wilderness comes to a total of 40 years in the wilderness. And in that time, everyone over 20, everyone over 20 died. They were not going to be allowed to go in the land. Now, our congregation here this morning is uh, probably on the high side of over 20. Just think about it, how many would be left. Because of their doubt... They, were, they would die as they wandered in the wilderness. Now, the wandering in the wilderness was extraordinary things that God did uh, as, he, as he provided for them. Their clothes never rotted. He provided more, a man in the morning. He provided uh, partridges or meat. <laughs> he provided meat in the afternoons. He protected them from enemies. He provided water for them. These are the extraordinary times that happened during these 20 years. They establish and confirm their worship and, the, and their uh, sacrificial system during these 40 years. So the book of law was given in, in Exodus, and that's why Deuteronomy is called the second book of the law. Because of this new generation that came up, Moses reaffirms everything that they've heard already to this new generation in the book of Deuteronomy. So, the old generation is dead. This, this is a new chapter in their life. So, if you put it this way, when you come to the decision point, and if you go forward and obey God and live in obedience to God, you're actually writing a new chapter in your life. And you, if you look back, if you honestly look back, you can say, I remember that chapter. I'm not in that chapter anymore. I've turned the page. I've been moving on. Those are decision points in your life in which you can see it happen. Sometimes chapters are longer than other chapters. Hopefully they won't be a full 40 years. Maybe during that 40-year period you'll be making some decisions that will move you forward instead of wandering in circles, so to speak. So that 11-day journey turned into 40 years. They came to that decision point. And before 
they enter the land. He's going to give specifically, identify Joshua as the leader. He's going to give him some specific instructions. Verses 5 through 9. This is the, we call this the commissioning of Joshua. He says, he talks to Joshua, he says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So this was the commissioning. And and that's the verses we're going to look at this morning, verses 5 through 9. We don't have time for the whole chapter, and, uh, and even then we're only looking at one segment of this uh, section. Then at verses 10 to 15, I'm not going to read that, but this is the challenge to the people. And, and In other words, Joshua now, he turns from listening to God, he turns to the people and said, okay, this is the challenge. We're going into Canaan. This is the, we're, we're prepared for that as we ready ourselves. And then, of course, Israel uh, responds with their commitment uh, to that. Now, Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Uh, but the believer does not have to battle to gain his heavenly home. Everybody understand that? Because sometimes, well, they, they reach the promised land. Boy, I tell you what, they sure face a lot of trouble when they reach the promised land. Canaan is not a picture of heaven because we don't have to battle to get into heaven. Canaan, for us, as we talk about application, is a representation of the believer's life as a battleground, not a playground. If you remember this, as every time we come as we talk about the book of Joshua, it's a, it's a, as you apply it to your life, it's a battleground, not a playground. As we leave this morning, we are entering into a battleground, not a playground. This, these are, they are going to face some incredible opposition, some incredible enemies. As they, as they enter into Canaan. So we're, 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 we're transitioning from wandering to actually everyday battling. The, this is why, by the way, that Ephesians is called the New Testament counterpart to the book of Joshua. The reason is because we are in a battle against principalities and powers, therefore put on the whole armor of God in, in Ephesians chapter 6. This is, this is a battleground. And uh, there's that strong correlation between the book of Ephesians and, and the book of Joshua. Finally, my brethren, in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We may not have a physical enemy 
like Joshua and Israel did as they went into the Canaan land. But nonetheless, we are going to be, listen, (laughs) we need to be prepared to do battle. Just real quickly, I want to just uh, talk about Joshua so you know a little bit more about our leader. He was a soldier in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. They're barely six months into their trip. They were actually between Egypt and Mount Sinai. They were attacked by the Malachites. The Malachites, the, was the founder of the Malachites was Amalek, who was a grandson of Esau. Esau and Jacob, remember, were twin brothers. This is a long-time animosity. And you will find, as you read through the Old Testament, that the Amalekites were, all, were a continuing thorn in the flesh to Israel. And so this, this is, he was a soldier. He led the battle. As Moses went up to the mountaintop, Aaron and Hur held Moses' hands up, basically in prayer to God. As long as his hands were held up, they won. When his hands went down, they started to lose the battle, which, again, the battle is the Lord's. It doesn't mean we're not to be in it and in, in active in it, but the battle is still the Lord's, and our dependence must be upon him. So he was a soldier. He was a servant. I see his patience. He served with uh, Moses 40 years, those 40 years of wandering. He was an assistant to him, even as it talks about here in the first chapter of, of Joshua. Uh, he helped him, whether he was serving in their tabernacle. He was with him when he went up to Mount Sinai. Uh, he, was, he was very loyal to Moses and jealous for him. When Moses appointed uh, elders to help uh, serve and minister to the people, some of them were prophesying, and, and Joshua went to Moses and said, you need to silence them. And Moses said, that, that again, it illustrates his loyalty. And Moses said, no, I won't silence them. They're doing what the Lord wants them to do. Uh, so he was patient as a servant. He was a savior. That's his name. His name means savior. The New Testament counterpart to Joshua is Jesus. Okay? He, he was a savior. And then he was also a spy. He was one of those spies. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. Uh, Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. I, I said here, his passion, you've got to hear this. Uh, as the people said, we need a new leader, etc. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spent, spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is his passion, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are bred. Their protection has departed them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You know, even in the, in the midst of adversity, and remember the numbering of the children of Israel this time, there was probably upwards of, of three million. And we're, what we're saying is, he and Moses and Aaron and Caleb stood up against this multitude. His, he, he had to be passionate <laughs> to be able to take this kind of a stand. And all the congregation said to some of them, stone them. <laughs> stone them with stones. They were standing in adversity itself. So this is, this is, our, this is our leader. This is Joshua, an, an incredible individual that God used through the years, trained, patient, passion. He was uh, a savior, basically, the people, and he was, he was committed. He was willing to die and give it all to him. This first, uh, verse 5 through 9. Those of you who have served in the military, uh, you've gone through basic training, or I think at one time they call it boot camp. 
that you go through basic training. And basic training is, basic, is basically to give you the essentials in preparation for the possibility of battle or of war. These verses 5 through 9 are, are the basics. These are the essentials. This is interesting to me because you and I are in a battle. And as we look at the things, it's interesting because what, all the things that, that God could have said to Joshua, why did he say these things? Because I believe these are the, the basic essentials that you need to battle. Now, as we grow and mature in our, in our faith and our life and our walk with God, obviously we learn more about God. We learn more about a walk of obedience. We learn more about humility. We more, learn more about dependence and devotion to God. We learn more about the Word of God. But if we're going to do battle, we have to have these basic essentials into place. There's the embrace the promises of God. That's all we're going to talk about this morning. We need to embrace the promises of God. One of the basic essentials for us in this battle to embrace the promises of God. We're going to look at the promises, obviously, that he gave here. But there's there's a multitude of promises throughout scripture, throughout scripture. When you read the Scripture, as you come across a promise that God has given, you need to embrace that and say, God, how can I apply this? How can this become integral to my life? We need to embrace the promises of God. Then there's a the challenge there to examine the Word of God. Obviously, you know, we'll get into that. And exercise the will of God. It says, go, go out and do these things. The basics, just the, the first one, have to do here with his, his power. Talking about basics. <laughs> I came across this little story, uh, or essentials. Uh, sometimes we have these grandiose ideas of, I could never do what Joshua did. If God wanted you to do what Joshua did, he would equip you to do it. Okay? If he wanted you to do what Joshua did, he would equip you to do it. Maybe your circle of influence and uh, place of leadership is not like Joshua leading the children of Israel into Canaan. But nonetheless, you are still placed in a battle, and God will equip you for that battle. But there's some essentials, obviously, you need to keep in place in order to do that. One of those is the promises of God. But going back, I want this illustration of essentials. A race car driver by the name of uh, Bill Vukovic won the, won the famed Indianapolis 500 in 1953 and 1954. This is a record of success few other uh, drivers have matched. When he was asked the secret of his success, Bill said, There is no secret. You just press the accelerator to the floor and steer left. We think... The point is this, we think there's some magic pill that I can take for spirituality. We think that there's some secret formula that's going to ensure that I always have victory. Rather than realize it's a day-by-day, consistent walking with God, walking in his word, embracing the promises of God. It's a day-by-day process. And as we grow and mature, some of those battles may not become as difficult, but yet they're the same battle we're going to fight as before. There is no magic pill. There is no magic pill or secret formula to spiritual maturity and vitality. It's a process as well as it is a day-by-day process. 
put your foot to the accelerator and just turn left. The promises of God. First of all, embrace the promises of God. The first one is his power. In in, in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Uh, the, the point you remember here is Romans chapter 4, verse 21 says, God keeps his promises, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. What God has promised, he will perform. And as he, he comes to Joshua, he says to him, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Well, th- that's his power. He, he has, I forgot the verses in Proverbs, that um, the horse is prepared for battle, but the victory is the Lord's. Joshua was prepared to fight the Amalekites, but the victory is still the Lord's. You and I are going to be in that battle, but the full realization is our victory is from the Lord. We need to embrace the power of God, as no one will be able to stand before you just as they were not able to stand before my servant Moses. In Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, All Lord God is, Jeremiah writes, Behold, You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand hand in the heavenly places? The power of creation, the power of of the resurrection and ascension, you and I have the same power that created the universe and raised Jesus from the dead is at our disposal. Maybe you have a loose connection. In a seminary class, missionary, Southern Baptist missionary by the name of Herbert Jackson told I was a new missionary he was assigned a car that would not start without a push. After pondering his problem, he devised a plan. He went to the school near his home, got permission to take some children out of class, had them push his car off. As they made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. He used this ingenious procedure for two years. Ill health forced the Jackson family to leave, and a new missionary came to that station. When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangements for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. Before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted. Why, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. He gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, pushed the switch, and the Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. For two years, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting that power to work. The power, folks, the power is there. We need to embrace the promises of God, and his power is available. The same power that created the universe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same power that's available for you and me. We need to stop living in the arm of the flesh and live in the power of God. That same power is available. We need to embrace his promises, and what he promised Joshua is power. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is, this is a real battle. This is a life and death struggle. And it may not be against people. It may be against an attitude. It may be sins that be, it's so easy to beset us. 
It may be just evil. This is a battleground. Embrace the promises of God. Embrace his, his power. The second one, his presence. Verse 5, again, the last half. As I was with Moses, and listen to this. So I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That I will, that's, that's that unconditional nature of that promise. It's emphatic. It's a pledge. It's a pledge of his name. It's like when the signers of the Declaration of Independence, they said at the end of the, of the Declaration of Independence, it reads this way, for the support of the Declaration, uh, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine uh, providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Many of you know the signers of the Declaration ended in ruin. But they were so committed to that Declaration, they were willing to sign that. That's what God is saying. He said, I am committed to you. I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Again, in verse 9, he says, Be not afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's everywhere present at the same time. It's incomprehensible, but that's what it means. Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10, as uh, David writes this psalm, this is an intensely personal psalm of David that, that focuses on God. He says in verses 7 through 9, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. His presence. I care, but you need to understand, it doesn't matter the darkest days of your life. I always, I always I think of a death of an infant, if it's your baby. Is it hard to imagine anything darker? An illness, financial setback, a disappointment in a relationship. Is there anything that, that, that would, is dark? It doesn't matter the darkest day you could remember or the greatest day that you can remember. The day that the child was born, your firstborn. The day you got that new job, that raise. It's hard to remember, to think through. It doesn't matter whether it's the greatest day or the darkest day. He is there. We need to embrace his promise of his presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from above? You are not your own? Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, not now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. How does this go today? When I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I was permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Good news, bad news. It means wherever I go, whatever I say, 
Whatever I'm thinking about, however I interact with other individuals, he's there. That's caution. But also there's comfort. He's there. He's there. The Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God is with us everywhere all the time. He's present. The dwelling presence of the Spirit of God is God's gift to every believer. And then we come down to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. In Hebrews, of course, is written to Hebrew Christians. He's trying to remind them that because some were worried and persecuted, they were struggling spiritually. And he said to them in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, he is absolutely, unconditionally committed to being with us. It should caution us in our conduct, but it should be a great comfort that whether it's the greatest times or the worst times of our life, he is there. Embrace the promises of God. Not only his power, but his presence, but also his faithfulness. Notice in verse 6. For this people, you shall divide as inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, you've got to understand that that's reaching way back. We're reaching way back into Genesis chapter 12. These promises of this land was made to, were made to Genesis chapter 12, made to Abraham. It was reaffirmed to uh, Isaac, and then again to Jacob, and then to the people themselves in Deuteronomy. These promises, these were made hundreds of years ago. He said, just like I said, I promised, I will bring it to pass. We need to embrace the promises of God, his faithfulness. He is trustworthy to act in accordance with his word, his promises, or his sayings. Being firm, steadfast, reliable, trustworthy. Psalm 36, verse 5. We are unable to put a limit on that faithfulness. He says, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the heavens. Lamentations chapter 3, one of the key verses, and talk about the faithfulness of God. Verse 23, Jeremiah, of course, is writing this. Uh, Israel has fallen, or Judah, Jerusalem has fallen, is being destroyed. The captives are being led across the hillside back to Babylon. He's sitting in the ashes, the ash heap of the smoke. Uh, this is the picture I have of him sitting there, and he's either thinking this or he's writing these words. He says, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new, new every morning, great. Is thy faithfulness. You can't measure his faithfulness. It's great. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Even in the midst of trial, temptation for the believer, he's still faithful. There's no temptation or trial that has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Not only, but God is faithful. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He's steadfast who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. 
Not necessary relief. Okay, not necessary relief, but you able to bear it and go through it. God is faithful. Even when I'm in the midst of a trial or temptation, God is faithful. It may be physical, it may be spiritual, it may be moral, it may be relationships, it may be financial. God is faithful. Not only is faithful in and through trials, but also God is faithful in the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is extraordinary. God's faithfulness, he's reliable, he's trustworthy. Whether facing personal tragedy, trial, or triumph, he's faithful through all those things. We have a song, a hymn, if you want to turn in your hymnals to look at it there. It's on page 50, or the hymn 54. Great is thy faithfulness. Let me tell you the story behind this hymn. The story behind Great is Thy Faithfulness should encourage every Christian who thinks of their life as ordinary. There's no tragic story associated with this hymn. It's just the fruit of a faithful man with a simple faith in a faithful God. Thomas Chisholm, who sometimes describes himself as just an old shoe, was born in a Kentucky log cabin in 1866. He was converted when he was 27 and became a pastor at 36, but had to retire one year later due to poor health. He spent the majority of the rest of his life as a life insurance agent in New Jersey. He died in 1960 at the age of 93. During his life, he wrote over 1,200 poems, most of which no one will ever hear. But back in 1923, at the age of 57, Thomas Chisholm sent a few of his poems to William Runyon at the Hope Publishing Company. One of them was, Great is Thy Faithfulness based on Lamentation 3, verse 22 and 23. Runyon was particularly moved by Great is Thy Faithfulness and sought to set it to a melody that would reflect the response of wonder, gratefulness to God's faithfulness conveyed in the lyrics. Apparently, he succeeded. The song quickly became a favorite at Moody Bible Institute and later George Beverly Shea sang it at all Billy Graham crusades. Now it's known all over the world and has been, known, been used to encourage millions of Christians to trust in a faithful God. Pretty impressive spiritual fruit from a life insurance agent. When Chisholm was 75, he wrote in a letter, My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which has followed me until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. The hymn, as you look there in your hymnals, has three verses. The first verse speaks of God's faithfulness revealed in his word. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. That's based on James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Great faithfulness revealed in his word. Verse 2 is God's faithfulness revealed in creation. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all the nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. And then verse 3 reminds us of God's faithfulness 
revealed in our lives. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. And the chorus goes on. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Whatever challenges, trials, or disappointments you might be facing right now, this hymn reminds us that God's promises are true. He never changes. That his compassions never fail. That his faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus is more than good. It's great. God doesn't need incredibly gifted or wildly famous people to proclaim those truths from his word. Just faithful ones. God is faithful. Now what's interesting? These three promises that we're, or these three promises embrace his power, his presence, and his faithfulness. Why just those three? Why not, why not his holiness or his love? Why not talk about his grace? I don't know. But this is what I do know. We need to embrace his power because you know what? We cannot, we cannot go through this battle and succeed without his power. We need to embrace his presence to realize whatever we face, wherever we go, he's with us. Remembering that he is faithful to keep his word. If he promised that he's with us, he will be with us. His faithfulness forgives sin. He will forgive sin. These promises. As Joshua then, again, you're in basic training. These are the basic essentials. His power, his presence, and his faithfulness. Maybe it's the fact that uh, most people can only process three things at a time. You drop a fourth thing in there, it's like, wait a minute, let me, let me wrap my mind around these three first. These basic essentials. The power, the presence, and the faithfulness of God. These three also just happen to be attributes of God. These three things are the, the things that make God, God. Omnipotent, omnipresent, and faithful. These are the attributes of God. These attributes of God. You and I, as we embrace the essentials, remember the various attributes of God. To know God. To get to know God. And maybe that's as much as anything. He's giving Joshua a taste to realize as he goes through this life and as he goes into this battle that he will come to know God in a greater way than he has before. Listen, this is just basics. As you go into the battle this week, you remember these three things. His power, his presence, and he's faithful. Embrace those promises. Because as he said to Joshua, I will. I will. It's an unconditional commitment on his part to us. The least we could do is serve him like in like manner. Power, presence, and faithfulness. Father, we pray as we close our service this morning in prayer and, and with a hymn, we pray, Father, that your name would be exalted. And, Father, as we uh, try to wrap our, our mind around uh, your incredible faithfulness and power and presence, that you may continue to minister to us, that we will be humble servants in your hands. And as we look through the scripture and anticipate the battles we face, that you give us the energy we need to do so. 
If you're here this morning, and, and again, uh, the heads bowed and eyes closed, it's, this has not been a salvation message. I've been primarily talking to believers and Christians. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, but you would like someone to show you from the Word of God, if you just fl- slip your hand up and then you put it back down, we'll have someone show you from the Word of God. I will not embarrass you. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me as I face that battle this week, that I'll embrace those promises of God. Any others? Father, I thank you, God. I, I pray, Elaine, that you know our hearts. You know what, what is in them. I pray that we indeed, as you have been faithful to us, that we indeed are faithful to you and serve you and embrace your promises. In Christ's name we pray, amen.